Welcome to the Open Door Church podcast. Our prayer is that you will be encountered and encouraged by the Holy Spirit and challenged by the word of the Lord. May the Lord bless you and stir faith as you listen to this week's message. Today uh, is in fact a historic day in the Christian tradition, and, and some of you may not actually know that. We've not always been like the most uh, consistent with like church calendar and, and remembering all those sort of things, but today is actually the anniversary of the first day of Pentecost after Jesus of Nazareth rose and ascended. And so to some of you, this may sound familiar, and, and it may be uh, like, oh yeah, that's cool, exciting. To others of you, depending on your background, you may be like, oh, no, this is going to be weird. Um, and so, still to others, like even in a room this size, there may be some of you like, I don't know what you're talking about. You're saying historic, and I don't even know what you're referring to. And so my general approach to Bible teaching is we want to do the necessary work so that way we can walk alongside those who... Um, the text was originally written for, so we can kind of insert ourselves into the scene, take advantage of the knowledge, the background knowledge that they would have had, so that way we can see things the way they were meant to be seen. So if I can, I hope this doesn't like, just, like maybe this like wrecks your life, and I hope it doesn't like ruin your experience, but the Bible wasn't written to us. The Bible is timeless and meant for all people, but it wasn't written thinking like, oh yeah, some some backpack guides in 2023 are going to read this and, and they're going to know exactly what it means the first time they look at it. They're, they're, the Bible was written to an ancient people group that live very far away from where we currently live. And so there is a certain amount of legwork. If you've ever tried to speak to someone in a language that you do not speak and you found the marvel that is Google Translate, and I'm telling you, man, since they came out with Google Translate, it's come a long way and it still does not help you speak to people who don't speak English. So if you, like, it, let's say it's, it's going to happen today. It's very common. You run into somebody that only speaks Spanish. You pull out Google Translate, and you're like, hey, how are you? And then you, you let Google Translate do its little robot voice. And what ends up happening as the conversation progresses, you sound like a toddler. Because that's just not how languages work. Languages just don't, like, one-to-one. -one. That's just not how languages work. And so if we take that principle for language, we can apply it to culture, and it's even more strange. You know, it's like that cultures are different. Depending on where you go, cultures are very different. Practices are different. Um, outlooks on the world are different. And so when we teach from the Bible, our goal, hopefully, is to put ourselves with as much background and foreknowledge in the very same vantage point that it was written to. And so that we can understand context. And this is so key to understanding and not just fortune cookieing the Bible, where you just flip open, point to a verse, and then just absolutely squeeze the living life out of that verse and just be like, well, it means whatever I want it to mean. You know, this is Burger King Bible, baby. I'm going to have it my way. You know, the point is, it actually says something, and we want to figure out what it's actually saying. So if you're listening to someone, you're like, oh, it kind of sounds like they said this, like married people in the room. Can you imagine doing that with your spouse? We're like, it sounded like they said, buy a new car. So I'm just going to go ahead and buy a new car and hope everything works out. That's a bad idea. 
That's, that's not good. You should, you should consider a little bit closer and listen and figure out and ask questions and those kinds of things. So I want to do that sort of work. And I also want to provide the disclaimer. I know that when we start to talk about the day of Pentecost, and specifically we start to talk about Holy Spirit, that even in a room this size, there is a variety of backgrounds and experiences. And I want to say, in every discipline of life forever and always, there has been abuses of things that are really important. But my main goal is not to abuse and also not to neglect. Because just because something has been misrepresented in the past doesn't mean that we can just throw it out. And so what our goal is this morning, and I say our because now you're grouped into my goal because you're here. And if you leave, I'll see you. Um, <laughs> I'm just kidding. Um, uh, my, our goal this morning is to appropriately understand this day of Pentecost and appropriately respond to it as the church in 2023 in America, thousands of miles away from where this initially started, we want to respond to it correctly. Does that make sense? If it doesn't, hopefully in a few minutes it will. I also have another disclaimer written in my notes. Um, if you're new here, or if you haven't gotten a chance to hang out with us a bunch, it's, it's probably worth it to mention now rather than later. We are a historic Christian church. We're not like a weird pseudo kind of Christian, do it your way sort of thing. Like we believe the Bible. We have a, a very conservative approach to the Bible. We're not trying to like make huge strides. We are also part of a long-standing tradition that is Pentecostalism. And so I, I don't want that to uh, sort of sully your taste for what we're about to share, but I do want to be honest with you. We're coming from a perspective that we sincerely believe is deeply, deeply biblical. And the reason we want to keep these things is we believe that they're faithful to Jesus and faithful to the Bible. But I don't want you to think like, yeah, if you've ever felt uncomfortable with Pentecost, I'm about to... Take all your worries away. No, probably not. So let's strap on our era-appropriate footwear, and let's walk into AD 1 Jerusalem. So let's build the scene together. Are you ready? To take advantage of all the knowledge that these Jewish people would have had in Jerusalem in the very first Pentecost following Jesus is this idea that Holy Spirit was not new to them. This is not new to modern Pentecostalism in the United States or the Western world. This is not new to the New Testament, but Holy Spirit has literally been there since the very beginning of the beginning and beyond. So if we look at Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, it says, In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and void, and darkness was over the surface of the deep, and the Spirit of God was moving over the surface of the waters. So right here, in the earliest recordings of the Old Testament, we see Holy Spirit in the center of the action. That Holy Spirit is, is right at the center of the creation narrative. This is, this is chaotic, kind of pre-organization creation. Now, through the Old Testament and the history of Israel, Holy Spirit would frequently come upon kings and prophets, and they use that language like he would, he would like rest on them or come upon them or something like that. And what we usually accompany is prophecy or some other kind of marvel. But it was all bound to specific situations and specific places. And then we trace that history. We get ourselves to this particularly remarkable prophecy from a minor prophet named Joel. He said this in the second chapter of his book. It will come about, in verse 28, after this, 
that I, being the Lord, will pour out my spirit on all mankind. And your sons and your daughters will prophesy. Your old men will dream dreams. Your young men will see visions. Even on male and female servants, I will pour out my spirit in those days. Now, just as I said before, context is, is so key here. The prophet is specifically addressing a, a literal immediate context, that there's something going on in Israel. There's like literal famine of literal food. And he's giving them instructions like, call a solemn assembly, fast and pray, do these sort of things. There's, there's spiritual darkness and wickedness going on. We're doing all this sort of stuff. But then somehow in his, in his time, he gets this glimpse into the far future. And I, and I want you to be able to hear that and not just be like, all right, well, I'm done. <laughs> no, he gets this glimpse into the far future where the Lord shows him something that is unlike what is going on currently, where the Holy Spirit is active in the Old Testament, coming upon individuals for specific situations at specific times. But Joel's like, wait a second. There's going to come a day after this, which is like the easiest time frame to establish. Can you imagine if like you're expecting a delivery? It's like, yeah, it's going to be after you order it, it'll be delivered. <laughs> you know, like, well, sure, of course it will be, you know, like, that's, that's the way it works. But he says, after this, God will pour out his spirit on everyone. And he makes these dramatic, like, descriptions. He says, male, female, rich, poor, doesn't matter your class, your ethnicity, where you're at, what you're doing. There is a promise that the Holy Spirit can come for everyone. And this, this is a dramatic shift from the way it was working before. And this passage is actually directly quoted in the passage we're going to read today. So if you have your Bible, and I hope you do, um, turn to Acts chapter 2. <coughs> Excuse me. We're going to be mostly there this morning. So this scene for AD 1 Pentecost, if you don't have your Bible, it will also be on the screen, so don't, don't be uh, stressed. So where, where we're at is just directly previously to this, Jesus of Nazareth walked the earth performing signs and wonders and teaching about the kingdom of God. It was attested by his signs and wonders and his words that he was the son of God, that he is God, he is the Messiah long awaited by the Jewish people. He comes and he's arrested and he's tried. He suffers under Pontius Pilate. He is crucified and killed in the most brutal, horrific, shameful way possible. Hope is just dashed all across Jerusalem and people are confused of what's going to happen next. But only three days later, he raises from the dead and he appears to people frequently. He appears to his disciples. He appears to fledging disciples. Paul says at one point he appeared to 500 people at the same time. And it's easy to kind of fast forward there. So we get the death, we get the resurrection, and then we get this event that we don't always talk about. That's the ascension. That's when Jesus ascends from the earth back to heaven. As a man, he's still got like scars that you could touch, these sort of things. Now he's sitting at the right hand of God, and he will be there until he comes back. But in between, there actually is a 40-day period that he is with the disciples eating breakfast and talking about what is going to happen next. And it says he teaches them on the kingdom, and he teaches concerning himself with the Old Testament. Can you imagine that kind of Bible school? That's what you don't drop out 
to like travel with your, your sister, you know? I'm just kidding. I, I think so highly of Caleb. But seriously, can you imagine Jesus himself, the author of the book, taking you through the book, showing you this is how you're going to do these sort of things. So they've done this intensive thing, and then once it comes to this period of 40 days, he says, I'm going to leave now. And let's, let's pick up that in, in Acts chapter 1. So you're, you're real close. You can just flip over, or you can just follow with me on the screen. Acts chapter 1, verse 4 says this, Gathering them together, he, he being Jesus, the Lord, commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for what the Father had promised, which, he said, you heard of from me. For John, being John the baptizer, John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. Now, that sounds a little bit more of like a, a definitive timeline. I don't know, not many days? That still could be quite a few days. Um, so when they had come together, they were asking him, Lord, is it at this time you're restoring the kingdom to Israel? And he said to them, it's not for you to know the times or the epochs in which the Father has fixed in his own authority. In verse 8, he gives this consolation, but you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. And you shall be my witnesses, both in Jerusalem and all Judea and Samaria, even to the remotest parts of the earth. Now after this, Jesus literally ascends into heaven to the right hand of the Father. They watch him go. Now with all of this knowledge of the, the three years the apostles were with him, of the 40 days that this, this larger group was, was studying with Jesus, and the directive that he just gave them, the, uh, the disciples do exactly what he said. They, they come together, they begin to pray, and they begin to wait. And it seems almost anticlimactic. Like, before this, Jesus already told them to go into all the world and, and baptize people in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So it seems almost anticlimactic to say, but not yet. With all this knowledge that you've been given, with all this practical ministry experience that you've been given, there's still one more thing that is of utmost importance before you go, wait until the Holy Spirit comes upon you in power. And then you will be my witnesses to the entire world. Can you imagine? Jesus would often say, I came for the, the lost sheep of Israel. And this is something that, uh, spoiler alert for if you haven't read the book of Acts before, something that they run into a couple times where they're like, wait a minute, these people aren't Jewish and they're getting saved. What's going on? It's like, yeah, Jesus said, Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the remotest parts of the earth. As far as you can, your, your little brain can imagine, that's where God wants you to go. And, and realistically, we can owe our own credit to that because we wouldn't have the gospel here if it wasn't for that commission, you know? Um, unless you're directly a Jewish person, which I think we found out Lisa was. People told me I am, but I don't do anything with that, you know? It's just something people tell me. Charismatic church, you know? Um, so they, be, they came together with this directive to pray and to wait. And to their surprise, only 10 days later, this magnificent phenomena happened before them. So it says they had been meeting in the upper room of someone's house. But uh, a lot of scholars, when you read the account of Acts chapter 2, they're uh, a little bit more leaning towards they were actually at the temple when this happened. So they would normally meet at the upper room of somebody's house. I hope this doesn't like ruin somebody's life that they may not have been in somebody's house when this happened. But it makes a lot of sense because there was a big crowd, and usually big crowds don't just hang out outside of random people's houses. Um, hopefully, there was a big crowd. They were somehow outside and inside, and that fits the temple description pretty well because there were these outdoor porticos that were covered. 
And, um, and there was like the court of women where women were allowed to worship. And so um, the, the scholars generally agree they were probably in a place like that um, because they also say it was the third hour of the day, which they count up from six o'clock being the first hour of the day. And so it would be nine o'clock. Um, they, they make that sort of assumption that this is nine o'clock in the morning, which is an hour of prayer at the temple, especially during a feast day. So there, and, and that doesn't necessarily change the meaning, but it does kind of give a little bit of explanation if we have an actually person in the room that are going to be like, well, actually, how would they have heard them if they were in somebody's house? Um, this is sort of an explanation of how that would be possible. Um, so with this scene that we've developed together, let's all picture you, me, all of us are those disciples. It says their number was about 120, which fits us pretty well. Um, so we are all in this room and we're drawing on the knowledge of what Jesus had said with our background, with our Jewish history. And Jesus would say crazy things about the Holy Spirit. He said, it's good that I leave because when I go, I'll send the Spirit. And the Spirit of truth will teach you everything. And to boot, he's going to remind you of all the things that I taught you. And he would say that this, this, this Spirit is the advocate. He would say that this Spirit is, is to our advantage, and then we draw on our background of Jewish history of the way that the Spirit would come upon people and would give them prophecy and would give them strength. And even like one of the first instances in the scripture of somebody being like the Spirit being in them was this guy named Bezalel who designed like the, the interior design, the architecture of the tent of meeting. Like the Spirit of God was with him to do artistic, creative things. And it's like you and I, we're standing, we're sitting, we're praying, we're picturing all these sort of things, picturing the words of Jesus. The air outside is cool of the morning, but it's getting slightly warmer as the day is kind of progressing. Outside, crowds are buzzing. There's a lot of people in town. There's a lot of people that live in Jerusalem anyways because it's a major city. But there's a lot of people in town for the day of Pentecost, which is a feast day. And then all of a sudden, this incredible manifestation takes place. Look at verse 1 in chapter 2 of Acts. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven like a noise of a violent rushing wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And there appeared to them tongues as of fire, distributing themselves and resting on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit was giving them utterance. Now, let's, let's get back into the room. So we were all in that room. Now let's get back to this room. Uh, this may be the familiar part. And this may be the part that's scary. But let's dial it back. And I want to look at the significance of this day, not just as an event for Christian tradition, but as a, an event of history in general. So Pentecost, again, was not invented for this particular day. Pentecost was something that was an ancient Jewish tradition. The word itself means 50. And it uh, functioned as a feast day to count 50 days from the Sabbath following Passover that there would be this feast of weeks is what it was called. And it would be, it would be commemorated with the, the day of 50, the day of Pentecost. And for a long time, this was a celebration of um, Thanksgiving, usually for like harvest and crops. It would be a Thanksgiving for the provision of God. Now, somewhere between the Old Testament writings and the New Testament, the Jewish, the Jewish culture at large started to celebrate this also. They were kind of matching dates, and they're like, you know what? This also memorializes when Israel came to the foot of Mount Sinai. Is that me? Did I do that? Anyway. 
um, they're saying that this, this event also aligns very nicely with when Israel, as a nation, they left Egypt, they left the bondage and slavery of Egypt, and they come to the foot of Mount Sinai. Now, at Mount Sinai, there was what we call a theophany, which is an appearance of God in the natural. And this theophany was a raging storm and fire. It was loud, and people were terrified. They were literally like, I don't want to go up there. Moses, you go take care of business. This is intense. Please don't let God speak again. That was the scariest thing I've ever seen in my life. And so there's this powerful vision. And when Moses goes up on the mountain, he meets with God. He witnesses God's glory in the smallest part. And God gives him the law, thus confirming his covenant with this Jewish people as the nation of Israel. Now, hopefully, with just that little bit of background, we can see the parallel very clearly. It wasn't an accident that the Holy Spirit came this way on the day of Pentecost because he was confirming his covenant once again. He was saying, this is not something that was just a one-off thing that I did with a group of Jewish people that one time, but I'm doing something powerful again. And I want to confirm it with similar signs and similar theophany, and people are going to remember this. People are going to keep this. So even the Greek in verse 1 where it says the, the day of Pentecost had come, um, if, we, if we look into it a little bit further, it doesn't just say come. Like I said, languages don't just like one-to-one. But it says the day of Pentecost is fulfilled. And, and we can see that very clearly liter- like in, in terms of literature that uh, the day of Pentecost in particular, a certain amount of time had to pass. It wasn't just a set day, it's the same day every year. It's from one date to another date. Does that make sense? So the day of Pentecost had been fulfilled, but scholars since then are like, I think, I think Luke, who, who, who scribed the book of Acts, I think he was being very intentional with saying, this is a fulfillment of something that the, the foreshadow was given in the marvelous theophany in Exodus 19, and now we're seeing a greater manifestation that's not just going to be this group of, of, of Israelites escaping bondage, but it's going to be all people everywhere who bow a knee to Jesus. And so the day of Pentecost has come. Now, we read some signs. And thank God for signs. Sometimes you're just like, did something happen? I'm not sure. You know, like, have you ever been in traffic and you're like, did somebody just hit me? You know, have you, have you, have you ever felt that? Like, you're, you're in slow traffic. You wouldn't experience that in Pagosa. Has anybody ever been to a city where there's traffic? Um, <laughs> traffic in Pagosa, we're like, oh, it took me two minutes instead of one minute to get to city market. Like, traffic. You know, like, um, but if you ever go to a city and there's actual traffic, sometimes you're like, did I just get bumped? I was in a parking lot in Farmington, and somebody literally bumped into me. And I was like, what do I do? Like, we're, not, we're parked. It's not even traffic. We're parked, and somebody bumps into the back of my car. <laughs> And, and I'm like, what, what would Jesus do? Am I mad? Am I happy? I, I don't understand what to do. And so I just go out, and she's just sitting in her car, like, and I'm just like, are you okay? And she's like, this isn't even my car. This is my sister's car. I told her that I would be responsible, and, then I, and I was like, I'm fine. If you're fine, I'm fine, you know? It's like, but praise God for a sign. And, and my car has little signs that if, if the, something's in, in danger or something's happening, there's little signs. And so there were signs to this outpouring. It wasn't just open to anybody's interpretation. There were things that were undeniably outside of the disciples' control. Number one, there was the sound of wind. Now, on this reading, I, I made special note of, of the idea that, like, it doesn't say that there was wind. It says that they heard wind. And it was violent wind. It was rushing wind. Can you imagine how alarming and strange that would be to hear wind and not feel wind? That would be really strange, wouldn't it? Um, but it said that it filled where they were meeting. It filled where they were, this sound of wind. 
And there's this, this aspect of fire that um, there's the sound of wind, but not a, 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 a visible or, or a tactile wind. There's, that's not there. But then there's this fire that distributes on to all of the disciples who were there. And it describes them as tongues. And I, and I just don't want you to get confused about tongues. And then we talk about tongues again. I don't think it's incredibly helpful to picture like a mouth or teeth or anything like that. I think it's more of the shape of fire. And fire is kind of innately like curvy that way. And so this, these, these pieces of fire are resting on each of these disciples. And nobody's getting burned. There's no testimony of hotness or anything like that. But it's this marvel that people are like, what is going on? And I like to imagine it in some sense of progression, not like in a long period of time in between each thing, but you, you get turned around because of the wind. And what the heck was that? And then you look and you see the fire and you're like, that's not normal. And then you hear the tongues. And it says that the spirit of God came and everyone who was there, a part of that meeting, was speaking as the spirit was giving them utterance. They were speaking languages they didn't understand. And I think it's important, I, I, I like the way my translation, I always use the New American Standard, I like the way it kind of breaks it down because it says that the Lord is giving them utterance. Now, I've taught on speaking in tongues before, and this is not that message, but it's in, impossible to, to talk about this passage, to talk about this day without talking about this thing. So uh, if you want more tongues stuff, we can talk privately or I can send you a link or people have taught way better about it than I have, but it's something that I'm passionate about because even among Pentecostal churches, we tend to just throw it out. You know, it's like, well, I don't know, I don't know what it is, so let's just not talk about it. I'll tell you who you're going to marry, but I won't speak in a language I don't understand. Um, that's a little soapbox. That's not in my notes. Um, the Spirit gave them utterance, but they were the ones that were speaking. And I think this is important to understand that it wasn't this ecstatic experience where they were all in a trance vibrating on the floor speaking things that they don't know what they're speaking, but they opened their mouth and the Lord gave them words to say. And I think that's really powerful because what the Holy Spirit does is not possess you like a horror movie, but the Holy Spirit empowers you to do what God tells you to do. And so this, this speaking in tongues was not something that was ecstatic or out of control. It was something that was given as a good gift. And what we call this in theology, and, and, and it's just kind of the Greek sort of, um, uh, sort of summary of what this is called, is glossolalia. And that is the supernatural speaking in languages that you don't understand. Um, to be fair, that's brand new to this story. And generally, I'm, I'm a big... I'm a big fighter against things that are brand new, not just in my life. I, I appreciate change as much as a normal person would appreciate change. But like, if somebody's like, oh, this is unprecedented biblical, like I just uncovered something from the Bible that no one else, I don't generally trust that. Because I think they're, we're not the smartest generation to ever read the Bible. So I'm not, I'm not really looking for somebody to be like, oh, this actually says this and it changes everything, you know? But when we look at this, nobody in the Old Testament had done this before. And on this side of teaching this, I'm like, that's exciting. But when I first read that, I was like, that's scary. I remember going to church for the first time, going to an Assemblies of God church, um, uh, not so much unlike this church. And uh, the person who invited me was like, do you believe in speaking in tongues? Grant, I've been a Christian for like a two weeks. And I was like, I don't know if I should. I was like, is it in the Bible? And she's like, yes. And so I'm not sure if it's a good thing or a bad thing. And I was like, well, if it's in there... And I believe it. 
And so I show up, and they're very demonstrative, very intense. And I was just like, okay, all right. <laughs> it's like, I'm still not sure what to think, but she said it's in there, so let's just keep going. And, um, but this is brand new to this particular expression. And the significance I want to draw is that the wind and the fire didn't happen again in the New Testament. The tongues happen pretty frequently. And I think that deserves just a, a couple minutes of attention. Because even beyond that, the writers of, of the New Testament took uh, almost a disproportionate amount of time to explain this gift. Because um, they, like Paul will go on to say, eagerly desire spiritual gifts. All of them. Especially that you would say words of prophecy that encourage the church. But then he would go on to talk about tongues a whole lot and say, I speak in tongues more than any of you. And we're like, okay, okay. So this is probably something that we should care about. It's probably something that we should take some time to consider. The wind and the fire didn't happen again. People were baptized in the Holy Spirit and they spoke in tongues multiple times. But the wind and fire were just this sign on this day. And throughout all of this, the, the main point that Jesus spoke beforehand, I think if you take even even some sense of a biblical interpretive principle, the main point lies unmarred. And that's good news to us today. Because the point of this message isn't to be like, all right, here's the line. I'm on this side. Who's with me? And just divide the rest of the church. That's not the point of today. The point is to find the actual meaning of this passage. And I think if you take a biblical interpretive like, process, then that point, no matter what you think, there is a large, large portion of the church, maybe large, large isn't fair, there's a, there's a portion of the church that believes that these kinds of things don't happen anymore. But I think this, this meaning is still intact. There's, there's portions of the church that abuse this gift like it's their job. And I think this meaning is still intact. And obviously, I wouldn't be standing here trying to tell you guys what's what if I didn't think I was right you know, that's always like the weird arrogance of a speaking position is like, I've spent time on this, but like, I've been wrong before, <laughs> but I'm trying to take the most like realistic biblical stance on this passage. And I believe that the point that Jesus set out to say is unmarred depending on your biblical interpretive principle. And that point is the work of the Holy Spirit, the thing that the Holy Spirit does, the, the variety of things that the Holy Spirit does are to empower you to be a witness to Jesus. That's the point. The point isn't to, to set you on your Christian plus plan and be like, oh, well, you've, you've now subscribed to the tongues package. So now that you're a tongues speaker, you can do this, that, and the other. And now you can lead communion because you speak in tongues. Or it's like, oh, now that you're a prophecy person, now you can talk with a microphone that's attached to your head instead of one that's in your hand. You know, it's like, it's not like that. The point is, the Holy Spirit is for all people in all times to do the work of God that is to witness who Jesus is. Amen. That's the point. Yes. And so wherever you go from that point, I'm not as concerned about. My, my concern is like, we're not neglecting things just for the sake of neglecting them. We're like, I don't like that, so I'm just not going to think about it again. That's just a bad way to do it. Again, using like a relationship metaphor, if your spouse says something and you're like, I don't like that, you know, it's like they, they share some instance of their past trauma and you're like, oh, that makes me uncomfortable. I'm just not going to talk about it again. <laughs> it's like, I'm done with that. So you go and carry on with your trauma. Um, that would be deeply inappropriate. And we do that with things in the Bible all the time. We do that with things of faith. We do that with things, manifestations of the spirit. We do that all the time where we're like, well, I don't really like that. 
So I'm just going to not talk about it again. And if God wants me to do it, he better force me to do it. (laughs) That's not what's happening. When the Holy Spirit came upon these willing, eager disciples, they did something that no one who was faithful to Jesus or the Jewish way otherwise had ever done before. God didn't force them to, but they willingly opened their mouth and spoke in a language they didn't understand. So let's look at what happened. Following uh, verse 4, let's look at verse 5. It says, Now there were Jews living in Jerusalem, devout men from every nation under heaven. When this sound occurred, the crowd came together. They were bewildered because each one of them was hearing them speak in their own language. They were amazed and astonished, saying, Why are not all these who are speaking Galileans? And how is it that we hear them in our own language to which we were born? Parthians and Medes and Elamites, residents of Mesopotamia, Judea, Cappadocia, Pontus and Asia, Phrygia, Pamphylia, Egypt, and the districts of Libya around Cyrene, visitors from Rome, both Jews and proselytes, Cretans and Arabs, we hear them in our own tongues speaking of the mighty deeds of God. And they all continued in amazement and great perplexity, saying to one another, what does this mean? But others were mocking, saying, they are full of sweet wine. I I like this because it's not that the tongues were meant to just be this ecstatic demonstration of of holy gibberish. But they served a direct purpose, and that direct purpose is in line with what Jesus said, that it was to proclaim the good news about Jesus. It was to proclaim the mighty deeds of God. And again, there's lots of schools of interpretation around this that people are saying, well, they spoke in whatever, and people heard them in their own languages, because you're getting a a vast diversity of people that are hearing different, ancient, far-off languages. (coughs) And the disciples didn't understand what they were saying. They didn't even understand that they were speaking the mighty deeds of God. They were just being faithful to what the Lord said. Really quick, I'm just going to take a drink of water before I cough into this microphone. And I think this example is something that we can't really ignore. And I would think, <coughs> excuse me, um, if you've noticed, uh, may, I, I hope it wasn't true, but if you had a hard time singing this morning because the songs were really low, that is by design. If I'm singing by myself and I'm preaching, I always take it a little bit down <laughs> so that way I don't ruin myself by the end of the service. Um, it's by design. I, uh, usually a lot of those are Shelby songs. Uh, but she's at home with a sick child today. Um, And so this crosses the threshold where a simple confession or a sermon can go. Because if there was a native speaker in this room today, and I said all these things in English and I made jokes, (coughs) the English speakers, it would mean something to them. But if I just started speaking in, in your native Russian, he doesn't even kind of look Russian. How would he know that? If I start speaking in languages that are beyond the beaten path of like normal, like these are tribal dialects, if somebody starts speaking those about Jesus, about God, that goes past what a simple confession can do. And so this this manifestation, this phenomena that takes place, people are very interested in what's going on. And I would think as they're looking, what they're thinking is, 
This is something that's out of the ordinary. This is something that we may call beyond the natural. This is not something that's normal or, per, or predictable. This is something that is, I think, God. And there were other people who were, who were big skeptics, and they said, oh, they're just drunk. Now, big confession time. I wasn't raised Christian, but I've never actually been drunk. Um, but I've been around drunk people more than once. And never have I ever seen a drunk person that begins to speak of the one true God in languages they don't understand when they're wasted. I've never seen that. I don't think it's very common. I didn't look it up, to be fair, but I don't think it's very common. And so I think, for one, that, that accusation is pretty strange to me. Where it's like, yeah, I always speak of... A, a native language of Cretans, you know, like when I'm, when I'm wasted, you know, it, it just doesn't make any sense. So as we're rapidly approaching our time of response, I, I just want to bring some clarity to this because this isn't just a historical event that we can think about historically. This is something that has affected the church from that point forward all over the world. This has changed everything. And prophetic speaking through tongues, through glossolalia, or just prophecy period is a remarkable way to draw people to Jesus. And I believe as a church, not just this church, but as the church, we should not neglect that. Amen. That it's something where it's like, well, back then, you know, they didn't have the New Testament. And now that I have the New Testament and all these different translations and stuff, I don't need to demonstrate the Holy Spirit's power anymore. And it's like, I, I want you to understand, I am so in love with the scriptures. And I do believe this is the primary way that the Lord speaks to us is through the scriptures. But the Holy Spirit has given us gifts for the sake of his name. So bear with me for a moment. Don't deny the Lord glory on something that you're uncomfortable doing. Because as much as you'd like to think that you're a Bible teacher that can exegete better than the Holy Spirit, I would challenge you, you're not. That's not to say don't study the Bible. If you know me, I'm really into studying the Bible, but we can't deny the Holy Spirit what he wants to do as a witness to the world. So this morning, we're going to pray, and I'm going to pray that you would be filled with the Holy Spirit. We're going to pray for one another. We're going to pray a simple prayer. It's easy. Uh, like I said before, we're an AG church, and sometimes you've seen, if you've looked up YouTube videos, you see AG churches where they're like grabbing you by the head and throwing you on the ground. We're not going to do that. If somebody pushes you over, tell me about it, and I'll talk to them. That's not the goal for today. The goal is, I mean, if they're like being weird, push them over. But um, <laughs> distinct from the Spirit. Um, we're going to pray, come Holy Spirit. We're going to pray that the Lord would come, and that he would do his work. Because I believe he wants to. And even Jesus taught us how to pray. Like a good father, like a, an evil father on earth isn't going to give you a, a stone when you ask for bread. Isn't going to give you a scorpion when you ask for a fish. And that being said, the, whole, the Lord is faithful to give you the Holy Spirit who asks, and it's not a bad gift. It's not a negative gift. And so whether you've previously had an, uh, an experience and an expression like this that we've read, or you've lacked that completely, or you're somewhere in between, I want to pray together this morning. But before we get there, saying all that, I believe there was a fourth sign in this story you got the wind, you got the fire, you've got the unknown tongues. And there was another sign because if you've been keeping up with what we've read, nobody has gotten saved yet. 
that there are a lot of Jewish people from all over the world that are now standing and staring, but no one has gotten saved. At best, somebody is like, what the heck is going on? That's the best response we get in the count of. At worst, people are like, this is, this is disgusting. They're just wasted at nine o'clock in the morning. This is not it. There's more to it than this. And I think the fourth sign is that Peter, who only a few weeks, weeks earlier was denying that he even knew Jesus at the threat of persecution, is now standing up empowered by the Holy Spirit, and he's about to share the testimony of Jesus in no uncertain terms. And I want to read this to you this morning. <clears throat> Starting in verse 14. Peter, taking his stand with the eleven, raised his voice and declared to them, Men of Judea and all of you who live in Jerusalem, let this be known to you and give heed to my words. For these men are not drunk, as you suppose. It is only the third hour of the day. But this was spoken through the prophet Joel. And it shall be in the last days, God says, that I will pour forth my spirit on all mankind, and your sons and your daughters shall prophesy. Your young men shall see visions, and your old men shall dream dreams. Even on my bond slaves, both men and women, I will in those days pour forth my spirit, and they shall prophesy. I will grant wonders in the sky above, and signs on the earth below, blood and fire and vapor of smoke. The sun will be turned to darkness and the moon into blood before the great and glorious day of the Lord shall come. And it shall be that everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved. Men of Israel, listen to these words. Jesus the Nazarene, a man attested to you by God with miracles and wonders and signs which God performed through him in your midst, just as you yourselves know, this man delivered over by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, you nailed to a cross by the hands of godless men and put him to death. But God raised him up again, putting an end to the agony of death since it was impossible for him to be held in its power. <coughs> for David says of him, I saw the Lord always in my presence, for he is at my right hand so that I will not be shaken. Therefore my heart was glad and my tongue exalted. Moreover, my flesh will also live in hope. I'm so sorry. <coughs> we'll get there. Because you will not abandon my soul to Hades, nor allow your Holy One to undergo decay. For you have made known to me the ways of life. You will make full the gladness with your presence. Brethren, I may confidently say to you regarding the patriarch David that he both died and was buried and his tomb is with us to this day. And so... Because he was a prophet, he knew that God had sworn to him with an oath to seat one of his descendants on his throne. He looked ahead and spoke of the resurrection of the Christ. He was neither abandoned to Hades, nor did his flesh suffer decay. This Jesus raised up again, to which we are all witnesses. Therefore, having been exalted to the right hand of God, and having received from the Father the promise of the Holy Spirit, he has poured forth this which you both see and hear. For it was not David who ascended into heaven, but he himself says, The Lord said to my Lord, Sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. Therefore, let all the house of Israel know for certain that God has made him, him being Jesus, both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. Now when they heard this, they were pierced to the heart and said to Peter and the rest of the, the, rest of the apostles, Brethren, what shall we do? Peter said to them, repent, each of you be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, 
you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. For the promise is for you and your children and all who are far off, as many as the Lord our God will call to himself. With many other words, he solemnly testified and kept on exhorting them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. So then those who had received his word were baptized, and that day there were added about 3,000 souls. And they were continually devoting themselves to the apostles' teaching, to fellowship, to the breaking of bread, and to prayer. So as we pray this morning, I want to pray that this would take place. I'm, I'm a big advocate of the manifestations of the Spirit, not just like gifts, like we collect them like Pokemon cards, but like for the Lord to do what he wants to do in his church. I'm a big advocate of that, but I'm not as interested in that if he's not going to be a, make us a witness to the world around us. That it was powerful when the wind and the fire and the, the unknown tongues were happening. And I pray that you have a similar, if not exactly the same experience this morning. <clears throat> I pray in tongues your lead pastor prays in tongues. We believe in this, not just to be weirdos, but we believe that it is a deeply biblical value that has um, great benefit to your life following Jesus. With that being said, nobody got saved from that. But a witness who was empowered by the Spirit came up and spoke the testimony of Jesus. That is the gospel of God. This is a side note, not in my notes. I don't want to upset you, but this is the truth. The gospel of Jesus Christ is not Jesus loves you. The gospel of Jesus Christ is this man, Jesus, is the Messiah, the long-awaited one, and you crucified him. But he rose from the dead because it was impossible for death to hold him. And your response is, what do I do? What can I do? With the weight of your own sin weighing on you, you're confronted by the grace of God. And you know what makes grace so amazing? That you don't deserve it. If Jesus just loves you and you ought to receive grace because you're so darn lovable, grace isn't amazing. And it's not even grace. Grace is the un unmerited love and favor of God. And, and he comes in with this word and he says, you know what you need to do? Wind and fire aside, you need to turn your back on the world. You need to turn your back on all those other lesser loves and you need to embrace Jesus. You need to repent. And he says that day, be baptized today. And he's referring to this baptism in the name of Jesus, the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, that is the full immersion in water. He's referring to that. And he says, and when you do these things, you will receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. And they'll go on from there in and out of prison, on mountaintops and in valleys, and people will again and again and again be filled with the Holy Spirit. They'll receive the gift of the Holy Spirit when they believe in Jesus. This is not advanced curriculum. This is not Christian plus extra max. This is what it means to be a Christian. And I don't want to scare you if you're like, nobody better touch me and I better not speak in tongues. If that's your attitude, I know I make jokes. I make jokes because I get self-conscious and it's like my coping mechanism. I don't write jokes into the sermon. It just happens. <clears throat> if that's your attitude this morning, like I, I, you can pray for me, but I will not. I would just challenge you not to resist the Lord. Because I know, 
I know that our church needs a word of prophecy. I know that our church needs edification from the Spirit. We're not going to do it on worship and Bible teaching. I love, that's literally my job. My job is literally worship and Bible teaching. That's literally what I get paid to do. But I know that I am not a better teacher than the Holy Spirit. I'm not a better comforter than the Holy Spirit. God himself wants to comfort our church today. So if you have a word for an individual or for our church, we're, we're going to open it up that you would be filled with the Holy Spirit and you would speak in utterance of God. And you know what? If you're wrong, we're just going to burn you outside. No, no. If you start telling people like, Jesus is not the Christ, follow this other God that I just made up here, he's in, in my pocket. You know, like if you start doing stuff like that, absolutely, there will be discipline that will be necessary. But honestly, if you say like, I, I shared a testimony at Alpha the other week, I had a dream about a, a person that went to my high school and they were having trouble with their mom in my dream. And I was like, Lord, I think this is you speaking to me. I go up to this person, I'm like, are you, are you fighting with your mom? I just want the Lord, I want you to know that the Lord sees you and he loves you and he, he wants to reconcile this relationship. Like, honestly, my mom is my best friend and we get along so well. And I was like, well, then I don't know what I'm talking about. Sorry, have a nice day. <clears throat> and that's okay. Nobody burned me at the stake. It, was, it wasn't that I was prophesying falsely. It was that I wasn't prophesying. And I still, that was, I don't know, 15 years ago. Like, and I still think about that every time I invite people to prophesy. I was like, what if they're wrong? What do I do? And, I, and I, I promise you, this helps us to grow. And so I want to pray together that simple prayer, come Holy Spirit. And I want to let the Holy Spirit do what he wants to do. Okay? So if you stand with me. Thank you for listening to this week's message. If you want to check out more of our messages, find us on Facebook, Instagram, or YouTube. Just search Open Door Pagosa. Our ministry is made possible by the faithful generosity of people just like you. If you were blessed by this morning's message and want to partner with what the Lord is doing in Pagosa Springs, find us at opendoorpagosa.com. Here you can give and stay connected with everything we are doing as a church.